Welcome to the God is Love and So Are You podcast. I'm your host, Divinefulness Mary. Divinefulness is your sacred self empowered by your higher power's love. I'm an author, life coach, and survivor of childhood sexual abuse who has conquered post-traumatic stress. On Easter, God's love overwhelmed me and compelled me to create this podcast, a multi-faith mission to remind you how much God loves you and invite you to deepen your relationship with Him. Our guest today is Christian Harris. He's an entrepreneur who also works as an independent and corporate consultant. He's on quite a few boards. We'll find out more about that. And a passionate cause of his, reparations for African-American citizens, which I'll ask him about later. Thank you for coming and welcome to the show, Christian. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here, Mary. Um, Okay, so let's start out with a little background, uh, like where you're originally from, where do you live now, and how are you involved in the community where you live? Sure. Um, well, I um, was born in Evanston, Illinois, um, and now reside in Oak Park, Illinois. Um, grew up mostly in and around Chicago area. My parents mm-hmm. uh, divorced when I was fairly young. My dad moved out to the South Side, um, and my mom remained in Oak Park. So I have some memories on the South Side and went to school out there for for a bit in my youth. And my church is still out on the South Side. Oh, okay. Of course, got family out that way. So so very connected to the city, even though I uh, grew up mostly in the suburbs. And I'm now looking forward to um, to moving to the city in the next few years as well. But um, so yes, originally, you know, from the Chicagoland area, grew up in and around Chicago and currently uh, still reside in Oak Park where I own a small cleaning service. Mm-hmm. And I also do some con- uh, consulting work as you mentioned too. And I'm involved in the community in a number of ways. Um, the two things I'm really passionate about in life are economic inequality and inequality in education. So I have to be doing things in both of those areas at all times in order to um, feel like I can function, um, in order to not just have an angst that builds up mm-hmm. inside mm-hmm. me. Um, and uh, I have to navigate that in a few different ways. And one of the ways I navigate that is by being very active in my community. So do serve on a few different nonprofit boards, um, housing opportunities, maintenance for the elderly. It's a great um, organization where we own a couple low-income senior housing facilities, also provide services uh, for seniors throughout the city. And we're working on uh, building a new building on the south side of Chicago. Um, the North Avenue District Board, which is really aimed at um, mm-hmm. Harlem to Austin uh, Avenue on North Avenue, revitalizing it on the Chicago and Oak Park side of the street. And um, also part of this grassroots collective organization, uh, which I can talk more a bit about later, uh, called Walk the Walk, which is really formed uh, to hold Oak Park accountable to, to its values and um uh, who, who it says it wants to be. So um, that is really just the tip of the iceberg. I like to stay involved in different events and different organizations in town and volunteer and all Right, that. and I remember you were elected to the Oak Park Board back in 2017. Yes, yes. I've ran for local political office twice, um, which 
you know, both were amazing experiences. You learned so much about the community that you're living in just from that experience. I mean, just from the sheer number of people you talk to. Um, it's unlike- That's an impressive position because you're the finance officer overseeing a $10 million budget until this year. Yes, 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 I know. Um, and and my, mom, uh, my mom laughed. She was laughing. She's like, how did, how did this work out? I used to have to tutor you in math. And now here you are overseeing a $10 million budget. But that's how life, life will take you sometimes. You're one determined young man. And you're getting it all done in every aspect of life, personally, professionally, and with grassroots and nonprofit causes. That's wonderful. That's great. Yes. Um, so tell us uh, about your spiritual background now. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, all, all of that, you know, it was only thanks to to my faith um, and thanks to God. Um, so my spiritual background, I grew up um, in a predominantly Black church on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. Trinity United Church of Christ. It is famously or infamously um, former President Obama's uh, church uh, that he attended right. uh, up until his um, decision to run for office and mm-hmm. Midway through the campaign, some sermons came out. Right, um, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but grew up in that church. It's a Black liberation theology church, which very much teaches the Bible through the lens of um, of how it applies to Black people in the 20th and 21st century, right. and uh, specifically, um, it teaches that the Bible is a book about an oppressed people and is for Mm -hmm. oppressed people uh, as well. And so that has always spoke to me um, and and really resonated with me that that teaching that particular that particular theology. Now, I I will be the first to say, of course, I question, you know, religion at different points in my life, um, as many of us do in that as we're learning things about religion that we don't Mm -hmm. like. Of course. But what really guides me and has guided me is that religion aside, there's things that I just cannot deny about God and his existence. And I've seen him show up in my life in so many different ways where it would just it would be illogical to deny it at this point. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's it's definitely been a journey for me, but I officially joined the church uh, in my adulthood, still attend there. The last year has been rough as I haven't been able to attend. Uh, they've been closed throughout the pandemic and won't mm-hmm. actually open for their mm-hmm. first limited service till uh, late August. So could be still be some time before we're all back in there together. Of course, definitely. It's that fellowship. But um, overall, I'm a, a Christian and do have a church home, which is great. That's great. So uh, tell us about your inspiring Bible verse and why you find that personally inspiring. Sure, sure. Well, I'm excited to share this one because this is still fairly new to me. Oh. I, um, so the scripture, I'll, t- I'll tell, the, tell the story. So the scripture was revealed to me um, maybe a month and a half ago, maybe close to two months ago when um, I got invited by a friend to come join this um, webinar on building wealth through faith. And the title. Yeah, it was, well, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if that was actually oh, okay. the, the title, but hey, if you want to do a webinar sometime on building wealth through faith, I think uh, we could probably draw some people. But he, and so he used that. He used this um, Bible verse, which is uh, Proverbs 13, 22, which says, uh, 
a good man or a good person, depending on the translation. Right. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, uh, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And so he used that as saying that oh, I you love know, that. To build generational wealth, blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, okay, you know, that, that resonated with me, but I wrote it down just like, okay, if I'm ever trying to do something on generational wealth, I want to be able to pull on this proverb. Mm-hmm. And it hit me probably last week, the week before last. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I was like, this is reparations right here. This is it exactly. in verse. Wow. So, uh, and I'll break it down for, for the listeners. But obviously a good man, a good person leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So not that we are just thinking about our personal wealth and setting ourselves right. up. Right. Even that we're setting our kids up, but their kids, making sure that they have enough uh, to live off of so that they are not starting from zero every generation as we typically have as Black people yes. through no fault of our own. I'll be the first one to say. Hopefully that's great. And it's just... It just gives me chills to think that, you know, um, that you were elected at, you know, as finance officer to the Oak Park Library Board as like a prelude to, you know, to your work with reparations and just God's preparing you. And he's been, well, he's been, been preparing you his whole life, but, you know, specifically in finance, that's just, it's just amazing. It's beautiful. And I mean, so the second part of it is um, the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So the sinner in this case would be the people that have committed the atrocities to my ancestors. All right. Yes. The wealth is literally being stored up for the righteous. So that that wealth (laughs) is going to be, it's being stored up for us and that um, we need to get it so that we can pass it down to our children's children. Absolutely. So that is kind of the scripture that guides me on my reparations journey seeing it so clearly right there that it is the wealth has been stored up and now we can come to, to get our due. And you're right, Mary, he's been preparing me my whole life. I mean, so my dad's a history teacher. Um, my mom is a lawyer. I grew up in a black liberation theology church, wow. right? I mean, it was in many ways he's prepared me for this for a long time. And um, my number one, there's a strengths assessment called Clifton Strengths. And they give you your top five strengths. My number one is context, which is basically that I look backwards to figure out how we need to move forward. And uh, I took that assessment a few years ago, but when that came full circle for me, when I started doing this reparations work last year, I was like, of course, of course, right? That's how I navigate the world, right? I need to look back for how we repair those harms to figure out how we can even move forward as Black people. Absolutely, definitely. So um, now let's hear about a personal experience where God has revealed his love for you and how that impacted your life. I mean, there's just so many. I had, tr- I had trouble finding like the one that just would you know resonate with people. But I'll just tell you know of a more recent experience um, and pretty much how I met my my girlfriend, who hopefully will be much more than that uh, soon. Uh, stay tuned. But um, a few weeks before we met, uh, I just felt this calling to get more involved in my church. Uh, Trinity, and that I hadn't really been involved in any ministry since like 2014, 2015 time. And I was like, I think it's time for me to get re-engaged with Trinity. Um, and so I reached out and didn't hear anything immediately back. But then a few weeks later, I uh, met my girlfriend 
And um, she was in a very point in her spiritual journey where she was trying to chin chin church all the time. She was going to Bible studies during the week and all of this stuff. And I saw so clearly that he had placed her in my life to continue pulling me back towards my oh, faith. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Towards <laughs> that life. And I never had a relationship like that, never really dated anybody of, who really like shared my faith at all. And that always led it to being something that I compressed, I guess, or suppressed, I should say, and didn't lead with to the point like, I would have friends be like, oh, you go to church and stuff like that. Like, that's how separate I would keep it. Um, but mm -hmm. she has really allowed me to like speak on it openly. And it's a part of our relationship. And I uh, am able to talk about the, you know, that, oh, he told me this. And then not, not to fear that, they're, that they're looking at me like, oh, really? Did he really do that? Or are you just making that up in your head? Like, exactly. no, like mm -hmm. he knows she's seen it. And he's just so... And as she's seen too, he's just, he speaks so just clearly in my life. Like it's just, there's just no denying it. Um, and so I, I just was very thankful that um, just he placed that on my heart and then placed her in my life. Uh, and my faith has really grown over the past year, year and a half um, as well. That's an excellent story. <laughs> Good, I wasn't sure, wasn't wow. sure, but it's special to me. It's amazing the way God works in our lives, isn't it? Yes. You were just talking about how lately you've really been wanting to get more involved in the church. You start getting more involved in the church and God presents this woman. Okay. So tell us about your grassroots advocacy and um, more about reparations. Sure. Um, well, I'll start with reparations and then move into walk the walk. Reparations falls under reparative justice. Um, mm -hmm. which, of course, there are different types of justice, from punitive to distributive to procedural. Some are mix and match, and some we use parts of this, parts of that. But in America, in our country, we, we, uh, we primarily believe that the best way to stop and change a behavior is to punish when, the, when that happens. So you steal a candy bar from a store, the, we in this society deem that you need to be punished so that that doesn't happen again. Whereas reparative justice says, okay, you steal a candy bar from a store. How do we repair the harm done to both the accuser and the accused while making the community, repairing the community right. at the same time? What's fair in that individual situation? Mm -hmm. you know? Not just three years because you stole something or whatever it is. So it's really looking at things through a reparative justice lens. And in this specific example for reparations for um, American descendants of enslaved of slavery, um, you're really looking at for 250 years, or or if you want to start at 1776 for 90 years, my ancestors, who I can, that's a question a lot of people ask, can you really trace your ancestry back to that time? Yes, I can trace my ancestry back to 1807 in this country. Um, wow. And uh, very, very blessed to do that. My dad's done the genealogy work back to 1807 in this country. And for all those years, they were not paid wages. Um, mm. And that is obviously an anti-capitalist idea to not pay somebody for their labor and that there's something due for that. Um, not to mention segregation, Jim Crow, war on drugs, um, mm -hmm. the lack of access to the GI Bill after World War II and on and on, 
all of the discrimination. Christian, and this is supposedly a Christian-based uh, country or founded in the faith. Right, right. Um, and it's amazing, uh, quick aside, because I can't, since, since you took us there, I cannot, cannot go there quickly. It's just mm -hmm. that it's amazing that Christianity religion was fed to black people to subdue us and to get us to control. And we took it and created gospel and black liberation theology and made it a, made it a, a Bible of the oppressed. And it's just, it's amazing what we've been able to do with um, what was meant for to keep us down has actually uplifted so many of us for, for so many generations. But um, yes, so, uh, so reparations is really looking at, you know, how do we repair the harm done? What was taken from Black people in this country consistently mm -hmm. was the ability to build wealth and the ability to build community. So how can we give Black people today the ability to build wealth and community um, at the same time? Uh, while also, you know, paying the debt of slavery and many of the institutions. And let's not forget that how much this nation benefited off of slavery. Um, that money that they, that they were able to generate and did not have to pay to their workers didn't just disappear. Like it went to fund Western expansion. It went to build schools. It funded wars. Um, the, those tax dollars were used to literally build the White House and many of our other institutions yes, in Washington. I have read about that, yeah. Absolutely. It built railroads that went out west. I mean, it funded so many things that we know and love about this country. Mm -hmm. um, and yet that um, Black people, despite having toiled in that labor, never have received what they're due. And statistically, just if even anecdotally, Black people mm -hmm. are at the bottom, are at the very bottom. And it just should not be that way in a country that my ancestors built. So um, it's it's a um, it's a fight, you know, uh, uh, um, that I'm ready for. And I also I'll always like to remind people that this country believes in reparations. I know it really does. We gave reparations after the Japanese uh, internment camps. I call them concentration camps uh, during World War II. Um, we we have given uh, reparations to. Uh, indigenous Americans. Not enough. I'll be the first one to tell you. Absolutely not enough. Not enough yeah. It could never be enough. But, um, and, and there needs to be more there. But we have given reparations and continue to do on, on a yearly basis to, to, to indigenous tribes. Um, under the Biden administration, uh, we gave reparations to Guam, which is a small island, I believe, in the Pacific that we, mm -hmm. you know, committed horrendous war atrocities on and eventually you know we decided that there was a debt owed for that and we pay, we paid them out for it so there's there's many cases throughout our history where we've actually said okay yes we did a wrong we need to be reparative and put our money where our mouth is just has never happened for black people in this country so now would that include uh reparations for world war ii veterans who were never allowed to take um take part in the gr bill so the great question. Um, the idea is that federal government reparations will kind of cover everything that the federal government has done. So I mean, from you know allowing slavery to you know what was it um, the Dred Scott case, you know making you know but all the different ways oh. the federal government has mm -hmm. limited the growth of black wealth and community will will be paid for 
in monetarily, but also in programs and setting up. Um, and I remember um, reading a story about black farmers, how I think, was it something astronomical, like 90% of black farmers, the government would not give them loans. 90% of them went bankrupt. Well, I always tell people my, my great grand, my great grand, my great uncle, I've, I've recently learned doing genealogy work. Technically, he's my granduncle. Mm -hmm. um, so my granduncle and my granddaunt, when they got married in the late 1950s, early 1960s, they got denied 15 times at different banks when they tried to get oh a my loan. God. Now, they were both teachers. <laughs> they both had the income. Mm -hmm. 15 times they could not find anybody so shameful. To, to give them a, a loan. And they eventually had to rent to own or as other as um, it's called contract loan, where they basically had to prove themselves for a certain period of time. And then they gave them the option to buy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Mary, we can quantify people like my granduncle who right. denied 15 times somewhere. There's a paper trail and we could pay the debt for that. But we cannot quantify all the people who never even applied because they knew the system was rigged. We cannot quantify the people that um, never even tried to buy into the American capitalist society at all and just said, you know what, I'm going to go over here and sell drugs on the corner because that whole thing is rigged. So we, we can't quantify all that was taken from Black people. Um, right. we can say we, we have some windows into it, but we'll never know what all could have been had we been allowed to grow and to thrive. And so that's why, you know, a, a debt is owed and plus inflation and plus interest. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so yes, so yes, Mary, um, to answer your question more specifically, yes, it will include that, um, uh, absolutely. And then as far as other specific cases, like the one that I'm working on in my hometown, where a small black community was firebombed and pushed out of um, what is now some of the most expensive property in Oak Park, um, Th that is a specific case specific to Oak Park. It's not about slavery. It's not about Jim Crow. It's saying, no, no, the village government here allowed it and didn't let How them. How long ago was that? So this was the early 1900s. So there, there was Black people here as early as 1880, which is only mm -hmm. 15 years uh, after the official end of slavery. And um, the firebombing took place in the late 1920s, early 1930s. And um, mm -hmm. the, the, the theory is that um, they were allowed to live around the train tracks because mm -hmm. trains were loud and dirty and a lot of them were porters. Oh, but as that became more commuter friendly, cleaner, people wanted to live by the trains. They wanted to change that area into a commercial district. And it still is a commercial district today. And so they essentially pushed them out and firebombed the ch black church that was there. Oh, and my God, a church? I didn't know there were churches firebombed before uh, the one in the early 60s that killed those girls yeah yes no mount carmel baptist oh. church uh firebombed and there's so many cases mary i can't even i can't even keep track of them all or have the bandwidth to like be able to recite the stories because it's painful mm -hmm. yeah i always tell people that as i do this work because uh, my ancestors deserve it and it's necessary Absolutely. but it's hard work like I, I don't enjoy it i really can't say i enjoy it um, but um, I do it because it's it's necessary. But um, there's and there's so many cases. But yes, it happened here in my hometown. And then one other incident of what, before they built in the predominantly black part of town, they fought, they scrapped, and saved the 
congregants of Mount Carmel Baptist Church to buy a property right off Chicago and Kyler in Oak Park, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were so excited. They got the permit. They bought the property. They got a permit to build from the village. And then they announced their excitement in the local paper, which is the Oak Leaves, which actually still exists today, although it's been purchased a few times since then. Um, and when they announced it in the paper, the local residents went into an uproar and pushed back in every way they could, complaints to the village board. It got so bad that the village board eventually rescinded the permit and did not allow oh them to. Uh, we're a resilient bunch and eventually built one right off Westgate and Marion uh, in the predominantly black part of Oak Park where they were allowed to build. But that is such a key incident because one, it's a direct act by the village board, the village government. Yes, absolutely. And then two, um, it just limited the growth of black wealth here. You know, that's another property that's owned by black people. Maybe they build a school a few years later. Maybe they build a house where they can. Right, um, right. And, and like you're saying, this is a perfect example of one of those instances where obviously that um, the firebombing prevented other African-Americans from even thinking of moving to Oak Park. So really they deserve reparations as well because, you know, they were discriminated against from and kept from, you know, progressing economically in society. Yes, you got to hit the nail right on the head. And see, and I always remind people too, is that all of the things that I mentioned about, you know, buying, you know, building a school and maybe buying another property, maybe building a second church location. These are all things white churches did do in Oak Park and did at that time and continued to do. And that allowed them to build wealth and build community mm -hmm. and, and churches, especially for black people, but really for all people in that time are where people base their whole lives off of, where they decide to live, right. um, mm -hmm. where they decide to work. Um, they're really black centers community, of community. Yeah. And um, at that time, specifically, that was really the only place Black people could really legally congregate safely um, was in the church, was in the church. And so to take that away from them um, was, was a big blow. So we're saying here that the village government owes something to Black residents for that limiting of the growth of, uh, of the community here. And so that's what we're fighting for. Many people agree with us, many don't. Um, it's interesting shift for me, having done so much, quote unquote, equity work, <clears throat> now shifting to saying, hey, actually, we need to be specific based on lineage <laughs> and, um, and experience, right? And it's a big shift from people saying, oh, equal, everybody, every equity, right? To saying, okay, now I'm being narrowly specific to what specifically my ancestors and myself deserve. But for me, it's, it's definitely what I'm called to do and uh, what God has placed upon my heart. Um, and so okay. I'm just excited to, to keep moving forward um, as hard as it might be. Those so are, how did you actually first get involved um, in doing the work you are doing with reparations? No, it's an interesting story. I mean, um, like I said, I grew up in a black household, black liberation theology church. So, I mean, I knew what reparations was, but never really can't say spent too much time talking about it or mm -hmm. never I can't say had any conversations longer than three, four minutes about it. Um, in my family, even today, there's still is very much this belief that it won't happen. Um, mm -hmm. And just being completely honest, I, you know, I come from a family that's, you know, done fairly well for themselves, you know, definitely solidly middle class, some people upper or middle class and higher. Um, right. So there's just this belief that that's not going to happen. We need to focus on us and kind of move forward. And that's what 
I mean, don't get me wrong. That's what they, we, our family has done. And that's why they've been able to achieve what they've achieved. <clears throat> I just, I just obviously disagree, but we won't get into that. Um, but so I, I knew what it was, but it was never kind of my issue or anything that I would have been particularly fighting for. Mm -hmm. But about a year and a half ago, early 2020, I was in a local meeting, uh, a local board meeting in Oak Park. And I was bringing up how, uh, and the conversation was about our advocacy for uh, cannabis dispensaries uh, mm -hmm. in Oak Park. And I brought up that, hey, you know, we shouldn't be advocating for any um, cannabis dispensaries to come to Oak Park if they don't have black ownership. And I said something I'm sure about, um, yeah, I said something about, you know, the war on drugs and it impacted the black community. And now the same mm -hmm. people that got rich locking up black people are going to get rich yeah. selling the drug back to black people and other blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, we really need to take a, you know, I didn't use this word, but um, I, what I meant by it was we need to take a reparative lens on how, on how we look at dispensaries in Oak Park moving forward. And then I brought up how Evanston, the town I was born in, passed reparations the year before, and they were moving forward with it, and they were oh. earmarking some of their, you know, yes, so they, they earmark some of their marijuana funds uh, to go specifically towards reparations in this idea of uh, taking a reparative lens. So I brought that up, and somebody like, like, uh, <clears throat> like Oak Parkers will do was like, oh, Evanston did it, and, and Oak Park did it. Oh my goodness, we're more progressive than Evanston. We just, we just have to, we just, we need to move forward on this. <laughs> and I was like, I was just like, huh? And then they were like, they were like, yeah, Oak Park will want to get right on this. And I was just like, what town do you all live in that I don't live in? Because <laughs> I didn't think that would even be an idea that's on the table in this town. But clearly you 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 navigate a different town than I do. But so that was the final thing that was like, okay, I need to do this research and move this forward. If if for nothing else to show this town, you know, where they really stand on things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was kind of the push that got me into the work. Um, God, God knows very much I'm a competitive person and mm -hmm. like, you know, like to show people up a little bit. So that's what led me into the work. Since then, I've realized yeah. that it's for my ancestors and that the only reason I can continue is that I'm, I'm doing it for them. Um, but uh, that was kind of what pushed me down it. And I just started doing a lot of risk, research, a lot of this book behind me, Suburban Promised Land, um, is really the uh crux of a lot of my research um and it really what's the name of the book again called suburban promised land the suburban emerging promised land community. who's the author oh there's actually a few of them um oh. frank lipo stan west and uh eves hughes and a few other people but it's yeah suburban promised land emerging black community in oak park 1880 to 1980 and it just gives you a really nice synopsis of what happened and who they were. I mean, there were homeowners here in the early 1900s that were black. There were business owners in Oak Park. Um, that was really resonated with me as somebody oh, right. that yeah. is a black business owner in Oak Park. I've often felt very unique mm -hmm. um, and come to find out I'm one in the long line of people that own successful businesses here since um, the early 1900s. And so that, that really was empowering for me, which wow. I knew. Beautiful but, history. And so there's just so much, you know, of course, they were fighting for, for equality and equity then. Even then, there right. were clubs. There was a Ku Klux Klan chapter in, in Oak Park. There was a Klan's women. I mean, there was just so much history that I learned from this. And then once I came across that story that I told you all about, 
about the church mm-hmm. on Chicago and Kyler. I'm like, right. this is it. <laughs> this is it. We can move forward with an actual case um, in this town. And so naturally, fast forward, the board was not receptive and did not want to pass anything when, when we brought it in front of them, you know, uh, uh, literally about a year later, you know, to that meeting that I had. And I followed up with one of the people and I was like, I was like you remember that conversation? And they were like, yes, you were right. You know, <laughs> I was like, OK, well, I was like, at least you see the town a little bit more for what it is. But um, now I'm now I'm so that's disappointing. I mean, I do think of Oak Park as being very progressive. You know, I um, there are real progressives here, but the thing is, like, I, and I tell people this: supporting minimum wage does not make you a progressive. As a matter of fact, I consider minimum wage a little regressive at this point. Um, it was an implemented over a hundred years ago. It has never brought low-income workers closer to the middle class, or definitely not, um, definitely not higher than that. Um, I, I, I mean, I. I consider progressivism in 2021 a universal income, universal child care, universal, mm-hmm. um, uh, universal health care. I mean, it should be a no-brainer. I can't, believe, I can't believe I'm even still saying that in 2021 as something we're Definitely. aspiring to. But mm-hmm. that's what I consider progressive and reparations. You know, I mean, there, there are real progressive things. You, for me, you can't just say, oh, I support a $15 minimum wage and call yourself a progressive. Not in 2021. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And that's so much of the cornerstone of what progressives in Oak Park believe. What's your next move with your reparations strategy? So um, we're still in talks with the village board. We had an election uh, earlier this year. So it is a different board than when we presented to them. Um, Mm -hmm. So we do feel good about moving forward and engaging with this board. We are trying to form a task force to really study the issue of reparations and look into what specifically the village board can do to uh, give Black people opportunities to create community and to build wealth. And uh, we, as a part, taking a reparative lens to that task force, uh, we do not want to ask Black people to do this work for free. Um, it's, uh, it's emotionally labor intensive. And uh, I know that I, God has placed it on my heart to do this work mostly for free, which mm-hmm. I am comfortable with, but I do not want to ask anybody else to do this for free, especially when I know, I know that we'll have some tense conversations. There will be some disagreements on, on the ways to move forward. Um, the black community is not a monolith on reparations. So I don't want them to just walk away from tension or to risk, you know, their, you know, reputation in the community. So we want to, we want to be able to pay them something for their time. So we're working on putting a budget together for what that'll look like. Um, We also want to do a survey of black residents in Oak Park, nicely and professionally done. Um, And so we will um, hire a firm to do that with us and to really get, a lot of input from the Black residents um, where we won't even move forward until we're still deciding on the percentage, but like we won't even move forward on anything until we get 70% of Black people have responded to the survey, or maybe it's 60 or maybe it's 80. We'll have to decide what that percentage looks like, but um, we want their feedback. Um, Evanston, who I mentioned earlier, they did test reparations. Um, They did start a housing program uh, in the name of reparations. And a lot of the Black residents were not happy with how they did that, um, Mm. literally to the point where they said, 
<clears throat> just send us the money. Don't don't create a housing program. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Just just give us the check. So maybe that's what Black people want here. Maybe it's not. <clears throat> we also want to, as to your to your mention, Mary. We also want to. Uh, make sure we're including all the people that were impacted by this decision, not just the people who descended from those people and right. whatnot. But so that'll be a part of this. So we want to do a nice little survey as well. And so we're working on getting that budget together and That's hopefully great. pass something this summer uh, with the village board um, so that we can take off and run with it and come back to them with some recommendations next year. But um, those are the next step as I see them. I'm also continuing to advocate for it on the federal level. I do believe the debt is too large to ever be paid by anybody but the federal government or any institution but the federal government. So it's very important that that continues to move forward. And HR 40 had its one of its first hearings and moved out of committee for the first time in, in the 40 years since it was first proposed. So, um, and by the Biden administration has signaled support uh, for reparations, although VP uh, Harris and uh, President Biden haven't, you know, articulated out of their mouths themselves. Um, they their sub- subordinates have indicated support, uh, and I have to think that if we were forgiven reparations to Guam. And Biden famously said he would have the black communities back when in office, so the African-American communities back when he was in office. I have to think that means we'll move forward on something in the next few years, but um, maybe I'm wishful thinking. That's great. That's such a, you know, just a beautiful story about your calling uh, to do this work and, and, you know, how you grew up in, in Oak Park and how your education and your entrepreneurship and your community involvement has brought you to this point in your life. It's just such a beautiful, inspiring story. So uh, where can people find out more information about reparations and um, maybe even get in touch with you if they want to get involved and just, you know, tell us about that. Sure. And I realized I forgot to talk about Walk the Walk, but I'll say- Oh, just I'm sorry. I forgot about that. <laughs> I got so excited about the reparations. Walk the Walk is the group kind of championing all of that. And we also are involved in some other things from community bridging, which is really focused on connecting Oak Park more to the West Side. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done things like we created an anti-racist book club collaboration between the Oak Park Public Library and the Austin Public Library. Great. Love it. Um, I love it. The two have never really communicated before. And so kidding we kidding me. Oh, uh, all right. At least they're starting now. Yes, me too. Me too. Um, and a lot of this stuff is so new, right? I mean, we, especially in Illinois, we're, we're very much have been so long, like, oh, our resources, we pay taxes over here and you stay over there. And like, right. mm-hmm. it's, it's still a new idea um, that, you know, that we bridge and we do collaboration. So we, uh, we did that. Um, we do, um, we're doing a historical scavenger hunt um, well, we did one last year, doing a have oh, idea this year, which has both historical landmarks in uh, Austin, neighborhood of Chicago, and Oak Park. Which oh. quick aside, that's right. They're both historic places. Mm-hmm. Both historical places, and Austin was founded by Henry W. Austin, who was a famous Oak Park businessman. <laughs> you might know Austin Gardens. It's a park in Oak Park, a couple other things. But Oak uh-huh. Park and Austin have a long intertwined history, so we're trying to highlight that a bit 
in a scavenger hunt. So we do things like that. Mm -hmm. We're moving more into some anti-gentrification efforts as well and the housing um, and trying to figure out what exactly we can do. I love that. And I also love the new term that people are using, colonization. Oh, well, yes. Which I think I mean, is more accurate. It, it is in some ways modern day colonization mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Um, I read, <laughs> I'll share a quick quote with you, but yeah, if you've heard um, Harlem, Harlem has, is being gentrified, you know, the historically mm -hmm. black, you know, Harlem, part of Harlem is being gentrified at some, but um, you'll mm -hmm. go through Harlem and you'll see a lot of Black Lives Matter signs and people, uh -huh. you know, in the windows and the stores. And somebody said, well, the people, the white people in Harlem moved all of the black people out and replaced them with Black Lives Matter signs. <laughs> And so I always chuckle <laughs> when I, I, I think about gentrification today, because that's essentially what, what it's become, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But we're moving into some anti-gentrification efforts. There's really no formula for how specifically to not gentrify a community, uh, mm. but invest in it. And we really want to uh, talk about that. We really want to dive more into that. And so um, uh, I, we have some ideas on how to do that and hopefully lay out a blueprint for the nation on, on how to do it, um, but at least locally. So yes, that's Walk the Walk. You can find out more about Walk the Walk at Walk the Walk OP um, on Facebook page, just Walk the Walk uh, OP. Um, I am currently off Facebook um, and most social media, but you can definitely reach me uh, reach us on there and somebody will let me know if a message. Okay. Comes. So it's walk the walk OP. I know Oak, Oak P stands for Oak Park, but that that's the page. Yeah, that's the page. Yeah. Okay. OP for some updates. Um, you can find out more about reparations at ADOS101.com. It'll kind of break it down to you um, a little bit about. What was the prefix before 101? Oh, yes. Uh, A-D-O-S, which stands for American Descendant of Slavery. Ah, okay. Becoming the preferred term as opposed to African-American or Black American, simply because there's people that fall under African-American and there's people that fall under Black Americans that would not qualify for reparations. Right, right, right. Um, so that's becoming one of the preferred terms. Now, not everybody likes it. So make sure as with any pronoun or adjective these days, mm -hmm. make sure you ask mm -hmm. people what they're comfortable yeah, I'm with. I'm not a big fan of Latinx myself. So, but that's. Understood, right. That's a prime example. I know what you mean. <laughs> I started asking people before I used that term. Um, I just did that a few weeks ago. So yes. Um, and then if you're looking for a book, if you have some time just to curl up and want to learn about the racial wealth gap and where it stems from, mm -hmm. uh, from, here, for, uh, from Here to Equality by Dr. Sandy Darity. He's an economist. I believe he's a professor at Duke um, and just really will lay it out to you. Dr. Um, Sandy, what's the last name? Darity, D-A-R-I-T-Y. D-A-R-I-T-Y. Got it. Really, he really makes the case. Uh, pretty well in that book. So you'll find the Facebook page, website, and book Christian mentioned in the show notes. Wow. It's it's just in, in incredible about, you know, all the work you've done in your community in not just with uh, reparations, just your, your just your active involvement even at the at the uh, on the library board and I know the Oak Park Chamber of Commerce where you're also a board member and that what is it, home, the organization um, that's dedicated to affordable housing for low-income seniors is just another great cause. I just want to thank you for being here. You're such an inspiration, and you 
you've done so much and you're in, how old are you? 30. You have a long time to go. And yours is a very inspiring story all the way around spiritually, professionally, personally, as an, you know, as a person, you know, advocating for various worthy causes. Just want to thank you so much for coming and spending your time and sharing your story, your stories, uh, wonderful stories with us and educating us more on reparations as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, I would uh, appreciate the opportunity to come speak to you about all of that. Um, I'm glad that I was able to, I'm glad God pasted on my heart that scripture. So I was able to bring to this podcast um, something that people who may not see reparations in the word, um, they may actually see it. And another thing I would encourage people, just last thing, I know we're wrapping up, but uh, debt jubilee is another thing that you'll, is in the Bible. Um, and that every hundred years is supposed to be some type of debt jubilee. And that also helps, yeah. helps, helps me think about um, economics and capitalism a little bit differently. So um, yes, yes. I, um, I, I do appreciate this. I'm glad that um, to have the faith that I do. And um, thank you again for the time. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a blessing to have you. Thank you. And good luck in your endeavors. And I'm sure we'll hear more stories next time we have you on. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. And hopefully I'll have some, I know I will have some new stories to share uh, about everything. So thank you. All right. So take care. And I'll just say, Please take a moment today to remember how your higher powers lifted you up over the years and consider deepening your relationship with him or her. And remember to take care of their precious gift, you. Thank you for listening to the God is Love and So Are You podcast. Join me, Divine Fullness Mary, next Monday for more about God's passionate love for you. Subscribe now and find out more about reparations nationally and in Chicagoland by looking for the links in the show notes.